What do you think is the highest predictor of happiness? A couple days ago was Valentine's Day. The story about St. Valentine, very interesting. A third century minister. Some of the stories are debated by historians, but the, the basic story about his life is he lived during the time when Claudius was emperor. Claudius was known as Claudius the Cruel. He forbid soldiers to marry. He wanted strict obedience to him, no divided loyalty. St. Valentine agreed to do secret weddings for these soldiers and their wives, knowing it could cost him his life. One day he was caught performing a wedding ceremony, and he was sentenced to die. The date of his death, February 14th. Before that, though, while in jail, the emperor's daughter befriended him. She would come to see him on a, a daily basis. And then on the 14th, she came early in the morning to see St. Valentine. He was already gone, taken off and executed. And it said he left a note behind that said, your Valentine. And that's where we get some of the traditions that we have. Interesting, Valentine spending on spouses. That's a $14 billion market. The number one gift that people like is a night out to dinner. Other spending, family members that get each other cards, $4 billion industry for friends, a $2 billion industry. Teachers and classmates is a $2 billion industry. Interesting enough, pets, that is a $1.7 billion industry on Valentine's Day. Premier Radio asked, would you rather have as a gift undivided attention or a physical gift. And most people stated they'd rather have undivided attention rather than a gift. We're gonna look at something today, whether you're married or single, if you're married, have a great marriage, it'll improve your marriage. If you're married and on the edge of divorce, we'll talk about things that you could use to turn around. If you're single and thinking about getting married, you need to especially listen to what we talk about to use wisdom in discerning making that decision. About 95% of people do get married in the USA. So it's something that most people by far, you know, they do get married, but we know there's also a high divorce rate. We're gonna look at some things though that can turn that all around here. Some principles, a lot of it from uh, Tony Robbins, a mentor, to, to me, to Chloe Madonis that also was a mentor, and some of the studies they've done, knowing again what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Words we know by heart, he says, if I have not love, I am nothing. So let's talk about some things about this idea of healthy relationships. And we're going to look some things for principles for marriage to see how do you then cultivate love at a high level. Love this story about Shun Fujimoto. He was in the Montreal Olympics in 1976. He competed as a gymnast and he broke his knee he had a floor routine on the rings, and the people told him, don't go out and compete. He did compete on, on a broken knee, and he was going to stick the landing coming off the rings, knowing the pain that would be there. He did stick the landing. He won a medal. He said this about that, the pain shot through me like a knife. It brought tears to my eyes, but my desire to win was greater than my moment of pain. And then he said this. Now I have a gold medal and the pain is gone. Sometimes the pain, though intense, it's something we go through and come out growing and with gold on the other side. It's for people that say, you know what? I don't want to just talk, listen 
take notes. I want to put into practice the things that are there, the principles that maybe are uncomfortable, maybe there's pain involved, but if you do the work on the other side of that, you'll know the fulfillment of what Paul was talking about when he said, you know, if you have love, you have everything. If you have not love, it doesn't matter if you have faith that can move mountains, you give yourself as a sacrifice for the greater good. It's all just a, a banging symbol if there's no love. So going back to the first question, what is the highest predictor of happiness? The highest predictor of happiness is marriage. It's marriage. People that get married again, if it's done in a way that's honoring to God, find it tremendously fulfilling. Others that uh, have gone through divorce know there's tremendous pain, but the highest predictor of happiness is marriage. So let's talk about how to do it in a way that is how it is meant to be, a, a picture of Christ loving the church. That's what marriage is meant to be, a symbol of that, that same type of commitment, that same type of connection, that same type of love. Before that, though, let's listen to something Paul Harvey said and, and maybe take a look at why things are the way they are in our culture where things are, are very confused for a lot of people. Paul Harvey wrote this back in 1964. It's simply titled, If I Were the Devil. Now, Paul Harvey was probably the most popular radio personality in the 20th century, and he updated this article, but originally printed what I'm going to read here was the first one from 1964. Here's what he wrote several years ago. If I were the devil, I'd want to engulf the whole earth in darkness. I'd have a third of the real estate and four-fifths of the population, but I would not be happy till I'd seize the ripest apple on the tree. So I should set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you, as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I'd whisper the Bible's a myth. I'd convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what is bad is good, and what is good is behind the times. In the ears of the people, I'd whisper, work is debasing. I'd caution them not to be extreme in religion and patriotism and moral conduct. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so anything else would appear dull, uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with vulgar movies and vice versa. I'd urge more loafing, less work. Idle hands usually work for me. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of, of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, let those run wild. I'd designate an atheist to front for me before the highest courts, and I'd get preachers to say she's right. With flattery and promises of power, I'd get the courts to vote against God in favor of unwholesomeness. Thus, I'd evict God from the courthouse, then the schoolhouse, and then from Washington. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted till I killed the incentive of the ambitious. Then I would separate families no matter what it took. If I were the devil, I'd just keep doing what I'm doing. So let's take a look at what Paul says real love is. See if we can find in our own life 
living in the truth as we know Jesus offered. 2 Corinthians 1.22, God set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts, a first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Because in Christ, we know the promises are ours because he says he sealed us with his spirit. And now that is an installment that guarantees that all the promises in Christ are yes and amen. So if we live from that place as his ambassadors, his brothers and sisters, our life then is going to reflect his love living in the truth, very different than the confusion we see around us. So let's talk about the one thing that predicts happiness the most, marriage, how to make it right if it's not where it needs to be, how to make it better if it's doing well. And again, for those single, pay attention to things we'll talk about here today. Use wisdom when you make a decision as to get married or not. So here's some things to take Take some notes and go over these. Take a couple of these principles. Take each one. But uh, let's take a look here. Tony Robbins says this. Number one, never question the intent of your partner. Never question the intent of your partner. Something that couples often talk about. You're not trusting the other person. You know, if they come home late is your first you know, thought, well, they're probably planning something special for me. Or is your first thought is, you know, they're doing this to disrespect me, or they're doing this because, you know, they must be up to something they shouldn't be doing. So for instance, uh, giving an example, somebody had asked me one time, they were dating this particular girl and they would make phone calls to, to reach this person and they wouldn't answer the phone. And this person get very frustrated and say, you know what, I called, you know, 13 times and she won't answer. What should I do? And I said, I'd go the other way in a heartbeat because those types of games, somebody may call that hard to get, but that type of game where you can't trust the other person has your best interest at heart and they're playing a game like that to cause you pain, you need to turn and, and go the opposite direction as quickly as you can. If you can't know this other person has your best interest at heart, if you can't have that kind of trust, it's time for a serious conversation. And if you're single, a serious decision about continuing in that type of relationship. What does Paul say? 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Number two, Tony Robbins again, when people are upset, their rules have been violated. Decide to value your relationship over your rules. What are rules? We all have thousands of rules. Rules are the things that we believe must happen before we can experience, you know, happiness. So if I believe, for instance, you know what, somebody needs to do A for me to feel good, then that's a rule that I have. But somebody else may have a different rule in regards to that same thing. So for example, somebody has a rule maybe and they say you need to be on time to be late as disrespectful. Somebody else may have a rule and they say, you know what, I believe if you're within 10 minutes of the agreed upon time, that's close enough. Some people grew up in a household where the rule was you don't raise your voice. Others grew up in a household and they say, we always argue that showed that you're passionate and you bring two people from these different backgrounds together. You know, some people have a rule that before they hang up the phone, even if they're arguing with the other person, they'll always say, you know what, I'm hanging up the phone, but I love you. Other people have a rule, you know, they reserve saying I love you until there's a special moment. So we all have rules. And the question is, when your rules are violated, do you put more importance on that rule 
or more important on importance on the relationship itself. John Wooden put it like this. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. So if we live in a place with high character and we live in a place where we say, you know what, I have the other person's best interest at heart, then I don't have to be concerned about trusting them because we each trust each other. They know my character and I know their character. And Wooden would say this, the true test of man's character is what he does when no one is watching. I love this here Japanese proverb. Again, if you're questioning the intent of your partner, Japanese proverb says this, when the character of a man is not clear to you, look at his friends. What type of character do we portray? Do we have more concern with the rules, more concern with the relationship? Tony Robbins again, number three, don't correct your spouse. Instead, use humor and playfulness. You know, words have a tremendous impact. There's a difference between saying, you know what, I, I disagree with you versus, you know what, you are wrong versus, you know what, you're a liar. And when we start getting into language that we use, we have to be very careful. And especially if we're going to think about correcting our spouse, rather than saying, you know what, you're wrong, find a way to use humor and playfulness to, to bring about agreement. What does Paul say? Love is not self-seeking. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. If we're not seeking just for self, but we say, you know what? My partner's needs are my needs. I want to meet their needs at a high level, asking nothing in return. How will we then talk to each other? I love this here from Jeffrey Miller for uh, anybody can do this today. He calls it fixing the most unattractive trait. You can start today if this is you. Or if you know somebody, you know, in your relationship with somebody, have a gentle conversation about this. But how do you fix the most unattractive trait in a relationship? Simply put, stop complaining. Stop complaining. We live in a culture where complaining is something that happens constantly on the media to get people's attention. The negativity, the, the fear mongering, the constant criticisms and debates and, and just slander going back and forth and people get caught up in this you go back and you read exodus when, when they leave egypt what is the thing that god keeps telling egypt tell the people have faith trust in me and stop complaining they complained about the food they complained about the lack of food they complained about the the fear of egypt they complained about is there going to be enough water People do that all the time now. It's the most unattractive trait. If that is you, you can change that in a moment and stop complaining. As Andrew Newberg shares, language shapes our behavior. Each word we use is imbued with multitudes of personal meaning. The right words spoken in the right way can bring us love, money, and respect. The wrong words, even the right words spoken in the wrong way, can lead a country to war. So we must carefully orchestrate our speech if we want to achieve our goals and bring our dreams to fruition. In a moment, I'm going to share a story, somebody that found the power of words to heal decades of pain it can happen for you as well. Next, Tony Robbins states this, never threaten the relationship. Even speaking about, you know what, I'm going to leave, things like that is tremendously 
painful to the other person. Never threaten the relationship. Or as Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. Carl Manager, a doctor, shared there's one trait, he said, that brings about the most healing to patients in the hospital. And what he says here is simply profound. He was asked, what is one thing, if you had to say, you know, it's not surgery, it's not the hospital, you know, being sanitized. Here's Carl Menninger, a doctor, stating, if people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical or mental illness. Love is oxygen to the soul. And here's the doctor stating in the hospital, if people have love, that's the person who's going to recover. Same thing in relationships. So maybe you're finding yourself in a place where, where you're struggling to find that love for your spouse at this point. Maybe there's hurts inside. Look at some of the principles we talked about. And here's something to add to that from Hal Gregerson, this idea of asking better questions and starting the day with this. Again, Paul says, if I have not love, I am nothing. Well, how do you then cultivate love? One of the ways is to put into action, seeking to serve others, also asking better questions. So for instance, how Gregerson starts your day asking, what is something I can do for someone else today? Number two, what is something I can do to add value to the world today? Number three, what is something I can offer to other people? You know, what do most people do? They, they get out of bed and say, what can I do for me today? And starting with different questions, coming up with better quality answers, that is the reality that will change who we are and especially in our life in Christ. George Valiant shared an 80-year Harvard study on happiness. 80 years, he said, I can summarize the study on happiness in five words. And he said, here's those five words. Happiness is love. Full stop. Happiness is love. Full stop. Paul's saying the same thing. Studies have said the same thing. Jesus lived and modeled the same thing. And it's meant to be love that is what we model the most in marriage. In our culture, what do people do? They denigrate marriage. They talk about it in negative ways. Media portrays it as a negative thing. That simple immaturity. It's worldliness. It's mocking what is the promise of what is the number one predictor of happiness and what is the biblical call for those that are meant to be married as a window to represent a picture of God, Christ loving the church. Next, Tony Robbins, never compare your relationship to that of others, a sure formula for disaster. We simply can say, you know what, is my marriage where it needs to be? If it's not, what do I need to do to make the changes? Paul, again, 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Tony Robbins shares this about one destructive force. The remarkable thing is no matter how blessed a life may be with health, wealth, family, close friends, opportunities to learn and grow, and a chance to give back, the number one pattern that denigrates and completely destroys people's lives is expectations. If you really want to be stressed, all you have to do is expect life and all the people in it to think, behave, speak, and act the way you have predetermined they should. If you hang on to your expectation, I can guarantee you plenty of stress and pain. 
So what's the answer to expectation? Trade your expectation for appreciation. The expectation is what I believe somebody should do. The appreciation I can have in a moment to say, you know what's great about this moment? You know what's beautiful about this moment? You know what I appreciate about this moment? There's a German proverb that says, there's more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy. In scripture, Jesus says it differently. He says, you know, What's in the heart is what's going to flow out of your life and out of your mouth. When we can stop and say, you know what, in my heart, I can feel that things are not right. I'm not where I need to be. It's time to make some real honest changes using some of the principles we talked about and just simply, you know what, saying, you know what, I'm going to live with a different standard for my relationship. Mel Robbins says it this way, the number one daily habit of billionaires, two steps, she says, takes 30 seconds. Step one is close your eyes. Step two is to see yourself as you want to be. You know, if it's a job you're having and you want to ask for a raise, see yourself asking for the raise and getting it. If it's your relationship, close your eyes. Picture that relationship with love and laughter. Your brain then will seek out that same picture that you see in your mind And as Tony Robbins says, each day notice, appreciate, and compliment something fantastic, wonderful, and unique about your partner. And Paul, as we close, states it this way, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We end with the story of Siri Lindley, changed her whole life with the power of love and words. She shared at 20, her and her father, their relationship came to an end. He married Another woman started a new family, basically disowned Siri and her brothers and sisters. She was bitter about that, carried that pain for decades. She became a triathlon, then an Olympic coach. Many years later, 20-some years later, she's still carrying this hurt, upset about her father. She realizes from her heart she has to do something different if things are going to be different. So she decides to make a phone call. She said her whole life, I wanted to prove that I matter. But her dad always made her feel like she did not. So one day she said, I made a phone call. And here's what she said. Dad, I can't express how much you have hurt me. She was brutally honest. She said all the pain he caused over the decades, all the rejection, all the lack of love, all the lack of support. But from her heart, she had a different intent because love perseveres. When she got done saying that, she said, but... I also can't express how grateful I am because everything I am today has been influenced by our life together. That's what we call effective blaming. Blaming people for the bad things, if they're responsible, there's nothing wrong with that. But blame them for the good things too that came out of that situation where you grew, you became more patient, you became more kind, you became a better person Maybe because you saw such a negative example. And when she said, but I can't express how grateful I am because everything I am today has been influenced by our life together. She said there was silence on the phone. She could hear him starting to cry. And he responded, you have just made my life. Not my day, not my week, but my life. Paul again says, if I have not love, I am nothing.